economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Lou Graham, producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. With us, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and financial chair of economics. We have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. And we have Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gordon Professor of Economic Education and Research. Finally, graduate assistant-elect, Lawson Medlin. Okay, so there's some uh, strange things going up in Canada. A great place to fish and also drink beer, but uh, some of the policies they've been getting into uh, over the years under the Trudeau regime have been surprising to me. I, I don't know a lot about Canada, but um, we... There's a place called the Fraser Institute that's based out of Canada. So we do the Gorton Institute um, has uh, done some things with their institute, and they also publish the Economic Freedom Index of the world. So we look at a few policies <clears throat> as we study North America and around the world to know a little bit about uh, Canadian policies. But this one really surprised me that they are loosening some of the assisted suicide laws, and um, I don't know much more about it, so I'll let uh, Peter take it away on what you know. Yeah, so uh, Canada passed legislation uh, that they call made, I'm going to call it's like medically assisted dying something or other. I'm going to call it euthanasia from now on because like this is just a fluff term for what's actually going on um, in 2016. And so the policy has been active in Canada for, uh, you know, basically four full years now, 2017, 2018, 2019, uh, 2020, oh, I guess five in 2021. Um, and so this is, we're going into year six now. And to this point, I, the program is not massive, but it's been increasing in size each year. So I think uh, 2020 or 2021 saw like 10,000 medically assisted suicide deaths, sorry, hmm. euthanasia deaths. Uh, for a total of, huh? <laughs> you made the rule. Yeah, well, I'm apologizing for my integrity. Uh, in a total of a, around, according to last report, which ended at 2021, so not including 2022, there were 30,000 since the program started. Since it started, wow. yeah. So uh, the, not you know a significant percentage of the population, but a significant number of people who uh, have basically chosen to die. And Justin, I think you know more about like the parameters of this than I do. So the law that was passed in 2016, the requirement for qualifying to be euthanized um, was that uh, death was reasonably foreseeable, right? So that means that we knew that that person was going to die and that their death um, was uh, probably had to be um, eminent or something, but at least reasonably foreseeable. And what happened in 22 was that that laws got loosened and now the requirements is that people um, even if their death isn't reasonably foreseeable as long as they have disabilities or are suffering pain um, then they are eligible for euthanization even if they are not close to death so close to death is vague right but this is clearly a huge widening of this um yeah. And Lawson, I think you mentioned before the podcast, what, one of the stories that you heard. And the reason I think we're talking about this is there have been a lot of stories recently about some of these approvals uh, or other things, which we'll get into. But Lawson, do you want to share the story that you had uh, looked at recently? Yeah, it was uh, in Canada that 
it was a story of a man who had submitted a request because in his application, uh, it put that the reason for his request was for hearing loss. He had hearing loss and that was his only really a malfunction or disability injury. And he was granted it. Yeah, he was granted it. And did he, do you know, did the story say if he he's actually done it? Yeah, he was 61 years old and he went through with the whole thing and it already happened. Wow. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, that this is like one type of story that's been coming out, which is the, this doesn't seem like, you know, that big of a deal, at least in our, you know, like societal view of things, hearing loss is important, but it doesn't seem we're dying over to most people. Uh, but there have been other stories that have come to light too. And so a recent one that I saw just yesterday, uh, there was a man who applied because he's going to be homeless and he would rather be dead than homeless is his comments. And so hmm. uh, he was actually granted this, uh, I believe. And he has like a, something like a 90 day waiting period. Uh, but assuming this guy's financial situation doesn't improve uh, or, you know, something else happens to where he changes his mind, uh, he'll commit medically assisted suicide death. You know, he'll be euthanized. Right. Um and so this has been another big one. And people have been talking about, well, you know, this is, uh, you know, uh, the tweet I saw that was very flippant uh, in the way that was criticizing the program flippant. Uh, so it said something like, oh, a new cure for poverty just dropped. Like the joke being like, well, you know, this is the classic. If we just get rid of the poor people, then we don't have poverty anymore, which, by the way, isn't true. But, you know, uh, the, the point being is like uh, this program seems uh, even if people are opting into it, it seems like pretty ug ugly in, in its relationship to like things like eugenics, which Russ brought up before the podcast, you know, seems like the people who would select into this program are likely like the weakest or most disadvantaged in society. Uh, and historically, you know, authoritarian governments have wanted to get rid of those people to make their societies more productive or whatever. So there's this really like awkward, uh, you know, weird thing where uh, you're <laughs> kind of trying to make people volunteer for the same thing that an authoritarian government would want them to yeah. want to force yeah. them to do. Uh, the end is the same. Potentially almost. be a drag on society. Yeah. Right? That, that's uh, the, that's on the healthcare system, let's say. Yeah. And, and because of their problems, whether they're mental or otherwise, they can't be a productive member of the workforce. And you're absolutely right. It's kind of a um, voluntary way to administer what would normally be authoritarian yeah. ways. Yeah. And uh, the last category that I've seen, and Justin, you can uh, chime in if you've seen any others, but uh, and uh, I'm not in Canada, so I haven't gone and talked to these people. So certainly these could be fake news stories people are making up or whatever. But there's lots of news that people are being pressured, uh, whether it's by hospitals or doctors, uh, to uh, take this on. People who are going to have very expensive long care plans are being said, oh, and you know, you we could do the chemotherapy for six years and then, you know, do the surgery uh, or you could you know, kill yourself. You know, that's another option too. And uh, you really should consider that one. Here's all the benefits of it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, in other words, like this is being pushed on people. Uh, apparently, again, I'm, I'm not there, but I've seen several stories about uh, being pushed on people who uh, have very expensive uh, surgeries and like, you know, uh, they're being pressured with, oh, won't this be a big drag on your family? That sort of thing. So this sort of language is being used to sort of push people in this direction. Who are um, already in a weak state of mind, yes, potentially. Yeah, so yeah. That, just... and, and so, hmm. uh, you know, this is maybe like the, the final type. And with Canada's universal health care system, you know, people laughed at Republicans when they said Obama was going to bring the death panels. I think that was Sarah Palin. 
uh, was saying that, uh, to decide who lives and dies in the medical industry. Canada's exactly one step away from that right now. Uh, in fact, they, they've kind of already, they've reached that. Yeah, What's the step? Yeah, yeah. What's the next well, step? <laughs> the, the, the step is it being like really common, maybe, right? Because 30,000 a year is not super common. But, uh, you know, um, I certainly like, they, they actually are, in a literal sense, they're already there. They've passed that like once or twice already that people have wanted like surgeries for kids and they weren't allowed to get it. But uh, like the not getting a surgery and getting euthanized are like, you know, that's maybe the final step, right? So Justin, would you... Yeah, so I just I had an article pulled up from somebody who says that um, you know, it's Roger it's guy Roger Foley. He doesn't want to die yet, but claims that ca the Canadian government is encouraging him to end it all. I've been pressured to do an assisted suicide. He said, "They asked if I wanted an assisted death. I don't. I was told that I would be charged eighteen hundred dollars per day for hospital care. I already have two million dollars worth of bills. So nurses told me that I should end my life, and that shocked me." Um, Wow, that is just really, really shocking. Uh, somewhat predictable, I guess, in terms of what you were saying from an economic standpoint of universal health, free coverage, limited resources, yeah. um, certainly a detachment from Christian principles or biblical worldview. Uh, the population of Canada is around 39 million, so... Um, I just had to Google that about 10% of the United States, a little over, but I want to say one, there's one more group of people that I think aren't being mentioned, which, uh, which we haven't talked about yet. And if you look at some of the comments in articles about this, you will find, um, depressed teenagers saying things like, can't wait till I'm 18 so I can apply for this. Mm. Um, uh, again, I almost feel bad saying this, but. I wonder if suicides outside of assisted suicides are down, meaning that do now that they have this option, they would have done it themselves. Um, I wonder if that makes a difference. I suspect not, by the way, but I, my economics brain can't help but no. I'm, I'm sure. That. I'm sure there's some level of substitution, but here's like the <laughs> the key thing to notice is that if people are signing up for this, that implies that there are people for which it would have been higher cost for them to do it themselves, right? And if there are people that, so the, the argument might be that some people, sometimes people do this with drugs too, is, oh, yeah. you know, the law won't stop it. It's just going to make it more dangerous, which actually, that doesn't really work with assisted. I guess you could fail, uh, but that right, I, was, yeah. I, was, I would personally say that as a good more thing, uh, a failed suicide attempt, I would view as a better than a successful suicide attempt. Uh, but re regardless of that, uh, yeah, maybe more pain or something. It's like really miserable and then you die. That We could all, all agree that would be worse than someone just dying painlessly. Uh, well, maybe not actually, uh, if it deters them last second. But anyways, regardless, uh, you know, if it's the case that people are applying for this, what that means is that they prefer like this long application process and a 90 day waiting period to doing it themselves, which means that doing it themselves is actually pretty costly. And as far as I'm concerned, this is a good thing. I like people being alive. I want dying to be costly uh, for people. Uh, in fact, I would like dying to be infinite costly. So none of us can ever die. Uh, or at least, you know, not, not in a, a permanent sense. Uh, so, you know, but uh, it, it's not to be, but I at least like it to be somewhat costly. Go ahead, Justin. Another thing to note is that sometimes when they, they have like a documentary on the the bridge, I think it's called, and they talk about people who kill themselves by jumping off the San Francisco uh, Golden Gate Bridge. Mm -hmm. And they talked to a couple people who uh, <clears throat> survived their suicide attempt. And almost everybody they talked to who survived said that the first thing that went through their head when they jumped was, 
oh no, this is a mistake, right? <laughs> um, and this is what a lot of people who attempt suicide report, um, right? Yeah. Um, that this was a mistake. And uh, as far as I can tell, it looks like um, the success rate for euthanasia is near 100%. And there aren't as many um, people yeah. who get that, uh, get the chance, uh, a second chance after trying to commit suicide. So not only do these people prefer it to having to do it themselves, but there's uh, going to be less of them that, uh, that survive this attempt. So yeah. People on the margin were scared to do that anyway. Yes. Might not have right. It. right. Um, and it's going to be 100% effective at getting rid of those people. Big difference between 90-day wait period and actually being in the moment of, you know, having a gun in your hand or jumping off the actual jump off the bridge. And, you know, that that physicalness to it doesn't happen with this 90-day wait period. You're just living another 90 days you know, thinking about things that you've already been thinking about for probably years at that point. So, yeah. So, I mean, so, so to some extent, like this sort of policy, which by the way, I mean, uh, it's, it shouldn't surprise listeners by this point, cars on the table. I'm completely opposed to this. I think that there is uh, actually probably zero circumstances where I think this, this is a, an acceptable uh, type of policy. Um, maybe this like butts up into things with like hospice or something. Uh, I, I don't know. I'd have to think about that, but uh, I, my default position is no, this is never okay. And maybe I could be convinced in like particular cases, but I don't think so. Uh, so I, I view this as bad. And I think the policy like recognizes itself as somewhat bad. Why do we have a 90 day waiting period on this? Like if people's judgment is good enough to make decisions about whether or not they should die, why do they have to wait 90 days to change their minds? Uh, implicit in that sort of like waiting period is the understanding that, oh, people might be mistaken. And they might come to the realization they're mistaken. But like Justin said, once you start the procedure, you're dead. You're as good as dead. And so if the mistake, if you realize the mistake as you're falling off the bridge, it's too late. And so here's a better idea than a 90-day waiting period. How about a 9,000-day waiting period or 90,000-day waiting period? My, my point being is like, <laughs> if people, if there's a significant chance that people are going to realize their mistake exactly at the moment that it's too late to reverse it, then it should be our, our duty as a society to prevent them from making that mistake if it's a very if it has very serious consequences, which uh, you couldn't imagine more serious consequences than this, right? Uh, and like one of the difficulties of this is uh, we've kind of talked about something related to this before is that uh, this is a I won't call it a good uh, I'll call it a bad uh, but in economics there are things called credence goods goods that you can really only tell their effects by using it. And so in order to figure out if something is good, you kind of have to talk to people who have used it before. That's a, that's a creed. So it's really hard to like measure uh, apart from people's like individual satisfaction. That's a credence good. Well, this is like kind of like a credence bad that it might be like actually impossible to evaluate how, how bad this is going mm -hmm. to be for you until you've already experienced it, that. And then, so we can have testimonials like Justin where a few people by some miracle have survived the attempt and they all say, no, definitely don't do that because like you're gonna realize it's a mistake later on. That's the credence aspects. People are like mm -hmm. giving credence to the fact that this is a big mistake. <clears throat> but with, like Justin pointed out, with medically assisted suicide, I keep using it, euthanasia. I don't wanna adopt the, the uh, you know, neologism there. Well, no, it's it's like it's yeah. tempting to do it. So yeah. with with euthanasia, though, um, 
there there's the no turning you're not going to have those testimonials of like oh man i started the the drugs that knocked me out and then i woke up and you know right. pulled them out of my system and there was I'm so happy. you don't get out of it compared yeah. to other credence goods where you get the testimonials yeah exactly so maybe this would be a good spot to break because i would like to talk about the morality of euthanasia and arguments for or against it but that's going to be at least yeah nope i was planning on the morality cliffhanger also, in addition to just the biblical angle, I think it's kind of implicit in this, but, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people that have some sort of come to Jesus moment that uh, might be missed out on with this type of euthanasia. So we'll be back in just a bit. If you're a high school student interested in earning some college credit, we have an online microeconomics class for motivated high school students seeking to earn early college credit. It's affordable, flexible, and layered with support. Our new online microeconomics course is optimized for dual credit and will increase your students' college readiness. Contact Peter or Justin or Russ today. Ottawa University is offering free classes for homeschool students in the Ottawa area. Uh, these classes will go through some basic economics, you could call it an economics 101 course, where we'll go through, through things like supply, demands, uh, and other similar issues. Uh, if you're interested in this, either inside or outside the Ottawa area, contact Peter Jacobson today. Ottawa University has an exciting new major, PPE, which stands for Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. Each of these fields is interesting in their own right, but they intersect in ways that are important to understand, both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy interesting, but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical, if you enjoy economic analysis, but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles, if you are interested in politics, but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices, you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University. If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, please consider a one-time or reincurring donation. Please visit the Gordon Institute page on the Ottawa University website. Do you know a high school student that's ready for college credit and microeconomics class? Here at the Gordon Institute, we have an online microeconomics class that is good for college credit from Ottawa University. Affordable, flexible, and layered with support, our new online microeconomics course is optimized for you and will increase your students' college readiness. Get your students on a college pathway today. Contact Russ, Peter, or Justin. All right, so we're back, and our cliffhanger was to uh, talk a little bit about morality and, and maybe insert some um, Christian principles along with this, too. Um, I just, first of all, couldn't help but think of uh, Jim Gortney who uh, we had on the podcast here recently, and of course our institute's named after, he lost his sight. And so when you told me the story about losing your hearing, um, it just made me think of him and how uh, he really has looked at it as a blessing. And I think a lot of people with disabilities or, or events that happen, maybe they lose a limb or they're in a wheelchair. My father-in-law is another example of this where um, life goes on and life can be flourishing, uh, even through some of those um, awful traumas that people experience. And so um, that's kind of outside of a come to Jesus type of thing that, that a lot of people lead really healthy, fruitful lives 
um, uh, in the face of that. And it seems a shame to not allow them kind of get over the trauma and then eventually uh, learn how to live and see if there's, you know, hidden blessings that they would have never thought of. And one of those blessings, I think there's there's got to be a thousand, uh, maybe a million stories of of the come to Jesus moment that I was thinking that uh, this is this is a way that people found Christ when when you have lost everything and you feel like there's nothing, you're in total despair. There's story after story after story of of how uh, the Holy Spirit can come in and and fill those gaps, and you're a renewed person. And so. Uh, again, to think that the state through euthanasia would take away that opportunity prematurely uh, from a Christian standpoint um, is certainly a sin in my eyes uh, and just an awful thing for society um, more broadly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, there's even like this is, was a constant in Jesus's time uh, belief that like when a person was sick, it was because they had sins or their family had sins. Uh, and there's particular like Old Testament things that made people think that that was right, but but it wasn't uh, at least not like universally. And in one case, you know, uh, a, a different case, but still, you know, Jesus basically denies this notion. You think, well, what else could it be? And Jesus uh, says that Lazarus, when he gets sick, well, the reason he's sick is that so the glory of God will be shown. And so, yeah, I mean, if we're uh, kind of knocking out uh, all the the downsides in our community, we lose the the upsides, those great stories that come from uh, getting out of the slump or getting over the um, adversity. You know, I, I don't wish adversity up, upon people, but it, it seems like just obviously true that uh, adversity kind of pushes us forward as people uh, and just <laughs> giving up in every case of adversity or, or encouraging people even worse to to give up uh, it seems like an awful thing. But that kind of brings us to the morality of uh, euthanasia policies. Uh, Justin, you wanted to talk on this? Yeah, so um, I'm gonna talk about what I think like the standard argument for the moral permissibility of, euth of euthanasia is and the kind of examples that it relies on. And then I'm gonna say why I think that this argument might not work, even though it's something that I think I used to uh, agree with um, I now have an argument against this position that's kind of similar to my argument against the death penalty. Um, so the standard argument for the moral permissibility of euthanasia goes something like, let's, uh, let's look at some possible uh, people who might uh, want to be euthanized. And you can think of somebody who has something like terminal bone cancer, which is extremely painful. And there comes a point at some uh, at some people's terminal terminal bone cancer diagnosis where they are told and told reliably something like you have four months to live, and uh, I know you're in pain now. It's going to get worse for the rest of these four months. Um, your pain is going to increase. It's not going to get any better. This is uh, you know we are as certain as doctors can be that this is terminal. And you might think that uh, the patient in that case might say, might real, uh, think that there comes a point in those four months when the reward to the, the reward that they get from living is um, uh, overcome by the pain that they have to suffer um, through. So you might think in, in those cases, um, it's rational um, and it's rational for that person to want to end their life prematurely and it's moral um, because it is it's something like a palliative um, for somebody to help them end their lives prematurely. These were actually a lot of the cases that 
um, became famous in the 90s with uh, Kevorkian, right? The patients that he was helping were mostly uh, patients in it with painful terminal cancers. So that's the argument for euthanasia as we usually get it. Um, there's at least some cases where it would be morally permissible to help somebody do this thing because in at least some of those cases, it's rational for these people to do these things. Um, their life isn't going to get any better and it's only getting worse, right? Uh, we can imagine the, because we do have examples of this where family members of these people are saying like things like, uh, you know, we just want them to be able to go peace. It's, we can't watch them uh, live through this pain anymore, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's one argument. Um, but another argument seems to be uh, my, um, and again, it's, it's very hard for me to say that there aren't these individual cases where maybe it would be morally permissible to help somebody, uh, help somebody die, right? I think that, uh, although you know, plenty of people disagree and, and that's fine, but I think that a lot of people do have the intuition that in the bone cancer case, it might be permissible. There are movies like, you know, Million Dollar Baby or whatever. I don't know if you guys said Million Dollar Baby, but at the end of it, um, she, you know, it's Clint Eastwood with a boxer and okay, he yeah, essentially yeah. gives her an overdose of morphine. Mm -hmm. and, and in the movie, you know, you... Um, Sorry, spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the intended walk away from it isn't that Clint Eastwood was a bad guy. It's that he was, this was some kind of act of, uh, you know... Um, not charity. Or it? chivalry. Yeah, or mercy. mercy. It, was like, it, was a, it was an act of mercy to put her out of her misery because she was trying to chew off her own tongue, you know, drowning in her own blood, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, the problem is that uh, it seems like we also have things like suicide hotlines. And when someone calls a suicide hotline, the point of the suicide hotline is to try to get the person to stop from committing suicide, right? Um, we... Uh, we also recognize that there seem to be a lot of cases where people are under some kind of mania or they are suffering from clinical depression. And we think these people are wrong about the amount of benefit that they have le left in their lives. And it seems pretty clear that any government policy that allows for this or even a hospital policy that allows for this, um, given what we've just said about the Canada cases, these policies seem completely unable to sift those first cases from the second cases. Mm -hmm. And if what we're saying about um, people who try to commit suicide and fail is that they often come back and go, that was a big mistake. We might think there are many more of these second cases than first cases. And if that's the case, then a policy that allows um, uh, euthanasia is going you know, by necessity to end up killing a lot of people that actually um, are wrong about uh, mm -hmm. whether or not they're the first or second cases. So here's what some, here's what you, it, what's good about this argument. It doesn't apply to any principles other than what it seems like uh, common sense is. It is willing to grant somebody that there might be some individual cases where uh, euthanasia um, is morally permissible or rational, but it says that since it's impossible for the state or the hospital um, to really effectively sort between these two cases. And uh, when the mistakes are made, they're almost always going to be made uh, by euthanizing people who actually have um, been, uh, you know, um, who ought not to be uh, killed. 
then we shouldn't do it. And this was kind of similar to the argument that I made against the death penalty, which is uh, I have no problem saying some people deserve to die. I just think that the state is incapable of determining which people those are. And so we don't give the state the right to kill people. Um, now, what's bad about this argument is that uh, it does say that uh, it prima facie admits, okay, let's just say you're right about uh, euthanasia being moral in some cases. So some people might disagree with that argument in this case, right? Uh, but in this case, they're usually disagreeing with the argument, um, but still agreeing with the conclusion. So this argument can be seen as like a, um, uh, well, even if we grant you that euthanasia is morally permissible in some cases, that still doesn't uh, spit out the result that we ought to have a state policy that, uh, that permits it. That was long, I'm sorry. No, no, that was good. I mean, I think that's what touches on, on these issues. I, I was kind of thinking to um, the difference between a type one error and a type two error with the change of policy, making it easier that you've got the one case of the, let's just say making the right call as far as some people would see fit, but then missing out on these others uh, versus not changing it, keeping it that it's illegal. And then uh, we end up with, people who will suffer pain that otherwise would have been good to do it. And so I think struggling with that, those moral arguments is, is what uh, needs to be done. And, and I think the opinion of this room is that the state doesn't belong in that discussion. Well, I mean, I, it's, you can't, I don't think you get to say that they don't belong completely in the conversation because whether, True. Yeah, what, whether or not we allow medical, euthanasia to be legal it'll never end uh whether or not we allow it to be legal like in both of those cases the state is saying something about it right they're either saying yeah you're allowed to do that with your doctors or or, or no you're not uh and they're actually telling other people you can't stop this right so your family's not allowed to pull you out of the facility so the the, the state's involved no matter what uh they you know uh that there's no uh no getting them out my uh the, I guess my prior is is still though uh, that even like even like you have the two different cases case one case two I think I'm still opposed even in case one cases right like I, I I don't believe that like there's ever this point where someone's like completely hopeless and the only thing that you're doing by allowing them to do the kill themselves peacefully is stop them from suffering and like ultimately killing themselves like miserably or something like that I don't I don't believe those sorts of situations exist like yeah I guess like. Theoretically, that could be true, that that could happen, like, in the world, uh, you know, our million-dollar baby stuff. Uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. And, like, how nice would it be if we, instead of expending resources to kill people, expended resources to, like, make sure that that's not the case for people, right? Like, why don't we just try to make the world or people's lives such that they don't, you know, see the only option is dying? In general, like, I, I just, like, feel myself increasingly like displaced in a world that like seems to put n absolutely no value on particular types of life. And so that this is controversy that I'm wading into somewhat unnecessarily here, but uh, <laughs> I have a strong opinion about this. Montana just passed or refused an amendment that would have required, or I think actually passed it. It makes a good deal of difference, I think, but I think they actually passed an amendment recently that says basically uh, that if a baby survives an abortion, that they don't have to be provided any like care afterwards. In other words, you could just like leave them to die. Really? Uh, yeah, any sort of intervention at all. Which has happened. Yeah, which has happened. Yeah, in, on several several instances. In fact, 
Uh, it not happening is probably the exception. So even places where it's not allowed, it probably still happens. Uh, we know this because there should be a lot of abortion survivors uh, because like saline abortions, you know, at least for a long time had a pretty decently high failure rate, uh, but there's not many. Uh, you can actually like look up Gianna Jessen as the name of one who she's a pro-life advocate and she's someone who survived a saline abortion and like had still deals with disabilities from it to this day. Uh, but, you know, th this idea that like because like life becomes inconvenience, it is therefore better for it to end. I just find this like antithetical to the whole like human condition. Like uh, the whole point of life is that it's inconvenient, right? Life is inconvenience. We're constantly doing things to overcome the inconveniences we face. Most people don't sit around on their yacht all day, in other words. Uh, and the idea that like when we hit a certain level of like this, this uh, like upsetness or misery, or we cause a burden on someone else, whether it's, you know, the baby being born who is supposed to be aborted or, you know, the person whose family is going to have to pay for the medical system or the, the people of Canada who are paying for the medical system, by the way, by their own choice. Uh, at least a lot of them voted for that. Uh, the overwhelming majority wants it. So the idea that these people are too much of a burden, I mean, it honestly sickens me. Like the, there's levels of which this is obviously a logical argument. And Justin was great at bringing us through the ethical case pretty dispassionately. But to me, this is like very, no, no, I, I, that's that's good. Like, that was a compliment. By the way. Yeah, that's, that's good. You should be able to do that. Uh, but I find myself increasingly unable to do it. To me, it's like there there's like an aesthetic to it, too. Uh, and it's just gross. Like it, it, it's looking at like a disgusting picture, like of, of some horrible incident. I'm not interested in looking at it. And I'm not interested in having a conversation about it. I don't want it on the table for scholarly debate. Uh, I think people who bring it up uh, should be kind of like looked at odd. I like the idea that we stigmatize the idea that we should just kill people who are inconvenienced. People who bring it up, Peter, this was your idea for the podcast. <laughs> people who bring it up as, a, as, as a, an option that we should consider as society, right? That, that's what I mean. It's people who bring it to the table like, oh, wouldn't it be better if, no, I, I think the immediate answer should be, nope, it would be better if. Uh, and so, yeah, this is my irrationality poking through. I'm not interested in having the conversation, but uh, that, you know, I, I am interested in, in the conversation, in the abstract, but not actually openly debating, should we as a society allow this in some sort of sense that like we move towards it? Yeah. And uh, look, that's a position that I'm definitely uh, open to as well, that even in the first case is not uh, morally permissible. Right. Um in the specific candidate case, it seems also that the incentives are so badly misaligned, mm, yeah. right? Yeah, that's uh, what's disgusting. You have doctors pushing this thing on uh, patients, um, and um, these patients who they're pushing it on uh, have it would cost the doctors money, and it cost the Canadian healthcare system money if the Canadians still had to take care of them, right? Yeah. So it's like. Um, uh, and it's not like our system where costing the system money doesn't hurt the doctor's bottom line. The, the doctors essentially are only paid by the system in the, in the Canadian government. So maybe somewhat indirectly, uh, but it's, it's, it is the case that if you're really hurting the system in terms of resources, that probably will affect either the, the doctor's income or the hospital's budget or something like that, right? It, it will have a pretty direct impact on the physician's uh, resources. Yeah, and I can sit there with an actuarial table and an economist and run through why this yeah. is going to maximize utility or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with this absolutely. But it really does highlight the point that, you know, which is what you said, which I think is a, a very true point, which is like, no, 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 I want some things to be 
off the table as yeah. uh, as options, right? Uh, we are not just trying to maximize utility, no matter how many bodies we have to throw in the meat grinder. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. A corner solution is uh, some things are just off the table and we can't do any more trade-offs beyond it. Um, I thought uh, there's little evidence here on uh, maybe this could be a function of losing their religion. So uh, it's still high, but uh, Canada Christians or people who claim to be Christians, uh, 53%. In the United States, it's 65%. And the growing nun category, people who you know don't have any formal religious identity that claim to be nun, is 34% in Canada and 26% in the United States. Um, so I think that's at least one little piece of evidence that um, religion within your culture might matter on government policies like this being adopted. Um, still doesn't really bode well because there's still 53% in terms of a Christian worldview of some sort um, is in Canada. So I'm not sure. Well, I, I, did, I agree with that actually. Uh, pretty uh, significantly. I, I think, you know, some people might think it's the opposite that like, if you believe in that an afterlife, this seems like it it's becomes a relatively better option, right? Because you die and you go, but actually like most Christian traditions uh, tends to, if they don't outright say that suicide means that you're going to hell, uh, they pretty heavily imply it. And so I'm pretty sure unless things have been updated since the last time I looked at Catholic doctrine, I'm pretty sure suicide is a mortal sin, that killing yourself is no different, uh, you know, morally from killing someone else because the life's not yours, it's God's, right? And so someone who dies in a state of mortal sin, the Catholic Church doesn't say uh, directly who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, but in terms of their guidance, that's one of the things you need to not do is die in a state of mortal sin or die recently without confessing having committed mortal sin. Uh, for evangelical Christians, uh, there's not really a concept of like mortal and venial sins. These are all put together. But there is the concept that like you'll know whether someone believes in Jesus by the fruit of their life. And if like the last thing that you do is like this expression of hopelessness that you that things can't get better, uh, it's maybe reflecting an expression that like you don't have your hope in the right place because there's no hopelessness if you have your faith in Jesus. And so a lot of, in other words, Christian traditions would say that people who kill themselves, uh, there's a decent chance that they're not going to go to heaven. Uh, and if that's the case, and we as a society believe that, man, we should fight really hard to prevent that from happening. Because if you can stop someone from killing themselves and then like, you know, preach the gospel to them and kind of change their, their life. Uh, we're talking about eternities now and an eternity in the afterlife versus an eternity, you know, in, in suffering. Uh, you know, the, these sorts of like things are, are non-trivial if you believe them to be true. Uh, and this is honestly part of the driver of why I'm not interested in having this conversation. I, I'd rather people have longer uh, to, you know, uh, we'll say get rights than shorter, even if it's a hard longer uh, which I know is easy to, for me to say as someone who doesn't have like any pain constantly or I don't have a, a really hard life situation. Uh, but I would hope if I did that, like my friends would prevent me from like doing something drastic like this. Yeah, I, I can speak from the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod side that uh, you can, our belief uh, that's biblically supported uh, is that you can commit suicide and still go to heaven. Your, your faith in Christ can still be there given whatever circumstances you were dealing with. Um, I've gone through Bible studies and other things from the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod uh, angle that uh, the grace of God is more powerful than any 
sin that's going on worldly. And so ultimately, your faith in Christ is what uh, gets you up to the upstairs. Right? Well, I don't upstairs. disagree with that. But I know I didn't yeah, disagree yeah, with what you said, yeah. that it could be a reflection yes. it, that insofar you know, as it's a reflection, it's a problem. It's, it's always in your heart yeah. and it's between you and Christ at the end of the day. I, and I agree with that 100%. Yeah, yeah, it's a I, signal. It's really, yeah. And I, I think to, like I would it, agree if a that. listener hears this, they're like, oh, Christians hate people who commit suicide. Like this, it's not the point. Yeah. Uh, like I said, uh, the Catholic Church provides no specific guidance about who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, just general principles. And like Russ said, like it's imaginable uh, that like someone does something brash and that it is not actually reflective of like their relationship with God or anything like that. Yeah. I don't know if brash is a word. It's, I think it is. Brash is a word. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, I just used it. So that's happy. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. But one thing that, uh, you know, it might, one thing that might be a reflection of the decrease in religion too is like to look at, um ways people use religions and one way that people use religions is like to memorize a set of rules where um they know what is off the table right um so if you bring up like euthanasia to somebody who's uh you know who's a christian they just might go no no that's against my religion mm -hmm. right uh, and then they don't need necessarily um an argument for well what you know what if we you know, right. the lives together you know? yeah. um, and so at um as a society gets less religious you are going to see a bunch of things that used to not be on the table now be on the table uh, precisely because people are going to be able to make arguments for them um yeah and yeah. if like peter uh you know you think that certain things should be off the table and i think this too right um you know i said at the beginning you know i used to kind of agree with this position but now i now i don't now here's my argument against it so it took me like a lot of argument um, to get to this position, which I think is the correct one, and that I could have just gotten by memorizing a rule, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the right rule. Um, right. And so, um, uh, so that's a danger. Um, is that yeah. um, it's always plot? It's always uh, possible to make a good argument for a bad position. Yeah. Um, and, and it might. Uh, it seems like I bring this up too often, but the rational ignorance argument: if people are staying out of policy changes. And some minority, vocal minority, that's speaking up for the rights of people who want to kill themselves, you know, whatever. If they're able to kind of get that legislation through, and and other Christians are just not really paying attention to politics, choose not to vote, or because they, uh, you know, it doesn't really pertain to them. It it takes an effort of a marketing campaign to say no, vote no against this amendment, or vote yet, you know, and and you're back to democracy. Uh, potentially leading to inefficient or outcomes that we don't desire. It's possible yeah. under democracy to get those outcomes. And we see it happen time and time again. All right. Well, this has been a production of the Gordon Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Five-star rating helps other people find us. We also have a Gordon Institute donate button on our website. If you'd like to support what we do here with our uh, college programming and high school programming, as well as this podcast. Other than that, be fruitful, multiply. Thanks. Mm -hmm.